wounds of Jesus Christ have indeed paid the ransom, offering us life, offering us eternal life, eternal hope in and through him. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. I'm convinced that every follower of Christ, everyone who understands that truth, every Christian, every committed Christian to Christ wants to live a life that is pleasing to God, wants to live a life that that honors His name, wants to, to bring glory to His name. In fact, I think that all of us want to hear the words that the Master told the faithful servants in the parable, well done, good and faithful servant. And the Bible does teach that indeed we will give an account of our life to God on Judgment Day. Now we know because of the sacrifice of Christ, the substitutionary sacrifice of Christ, His death in our place, that that we will not receive judgment on that day for all those who know Christ have been cleared of guilt, have been exonerated, have received the innocence of Christ, been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, Nevertheless, God's Word does teach that we will, we will give an account for what we have done with our lives. A day of rewards. A day of recognizing whether or not and to what extent we have lived our lives for the glory of, of the Lord. As we continue... In this message series this morning, Be the Church, we've been looking at core truths uh, that pertain to followers of Christ. And today is the fifth and final Sunday that we look at these foundational truths, truths that I believe are, are non-negotiable truths for any follower of Jesus Christ who, who claims to be under the authority of, of Christ and His Word. And so we began several weeks ago looking at the centrality of of faith, the importance and the necessity of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And from there we talked about the the necessity and and importance for, for followers of Jesus to live lives of worship. We talked about the importance of belonging to the church, to Christ's church, to being part of His His church. Last week, we looked at the mandate and the commission for us as followers of Christ to then be sent out into the world to be faithful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fifth and final core truth that I want us to look at in this series this morning is this, that all Christians are accountable to God. All Christians are accountable to God for how we live, how we walk, how we conduct ourselves in this life. But as always, don't just take my word for it. Let me invite you to open God's word with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And as you find your place in 1 Timothy 4, let me invite you to stand with me out of reverence for uh, God's word that we will be reading. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 6. 1 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6, Paul writes to Uh, young Timothy, these words. He says, If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith 
and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Verse 11, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy, when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Please join me in prayer. Father, we do pray now that as as we've read your word and we seek to rightly understand it, to interpret, to apply the truths found here to our lives as your people, Father, we, we desire that your spirit lead us in that process. So lead us now, speak to us, be glorified in us. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. So you may be seated. Well, the context of this particular letter, this first letter that Paul wrote to to young Timothy, uh, Paul writes to instruct Timothy in some pastoral matters. He writes to give him some pastoral pastoral guidance and some pastoral uh, mentoring. And I think he he writes to uh, give Timothy a message that Timothy is probably not that excited about hearing. Because he tells Timothy, and we we read this in chapter 1, verse 3, to stay where he is, to stay in Ephesus. Uh, Meaning that perhaps uh, at some point, Timothy wanted to leave Ephesus. He wanted to move on from that place. But Paul writes to Timothy and says, no, you stay in Ephesus and straighten out the situation there. There's some false teaching that has uh, been uh, spread and is spreading among believers who are part of the church in Ephesus. And so Paul writes to Timothy saying, as a young pastor, stay there, teach the truth, command these things, straighten out what is happening. So there's a lot of pastoral wisdom found in, in this letter. That's why it's known as one of the pastoral epistles. I think our passage, at least in part, uh, addresses questions like, what is the role of a pastor? What are some of the responsibilities of a pastor? How should we evaluate Christian ministers and leaders and pastors? But it doesn't just speak to truths that pastors and ministers are to be uh, living out. And certainly we're going to get to some of that this morning. But I believe there are truths that are found here for every follower of Jesus Christ. In fact, I think we see here in First Timothy chapter 4 that believers in Jesus are accountable for godliness. Believers in Jesus, followers of Christ, Christians are accountable to God and they are accountable to God for godliness. Now, godliness is probably not a word that's in your everyday vocabulary. It's not something that you probably speak very often. Perhaps you don't even think of it very often. It sort of sounds like this pious word that 
maybe should be reserved for this spiritually elite class of folks, as if there was any spiritually elite class of Christians. There, there's not. We're believers in, in Jesus. But, but Paul thought this word was very important, and he used it multiple times throughout this letter. And by it, he meant a life of worshiping God. A life of reverence for God as the only God. A life that was spent and is spent submitting to Him. Which means by implication submitting to His Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him to straighten out false teaching, to pursue godliness and to make sure that others around you those who are part of the faith, those who are part of the church, are pursuing a life of godliness. So what does a life of godliness look like? And I think we have three descriptions, three marks here in First Timothy chapter 4 of a godly life. And the first is this. It's that the godly reject false teaching. The godly reject false teaching. Paul writes to Timothy, if you point these things out, concerning false teaching. If you point these out to the Christians, then you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. You see, there was a false teaching that was circulating among Christians in Ephesus, and it was the false teaching or the false gospel of uh, addition and subtraction. Now, arithmetic is generally a pretty good thing. It's a positive thing. Some people enjoy it. Others hate it. But we would all acknowledge that it has an important function, an important role. It's it's important to society, except when it comes to your faith. You see, these false teachers were promoting the idea of subtracting from the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and His death on the cross in the place of sinners and adding to Christ some other requirements uh, for following Christ. Some of the requirements of the faith. In essence, they were saying, sure, Jesus is a good thing. It's good to embrace Jesus, to acknowledge that He is important. Yes, even that He is Lord, but it's just as important. In fact, it's equally important, so much so that if you neglect it, uh, then, then you are on the wrong path. It's equally important that you abstain from certain foods. They were promoting that people must abstain from marriage. We get all of this from the context, uh, the content of this letter just prior to this passage of Scripture. In other words, the more limitation you put on the physical, then the closer you are with God. And so Paul writes to Timothy and he says, no. You stay there and you straighten this out. You, you confront these false teachers and the message that they are spreading. The godly reject false teaching. And secondly, the godly feast on good teaching. Godly feast on good teaching or right teaching. Verse 6, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Friends, contrary to popular opinion and belief today, everything is not equally true. Everything is not true. In fact, as believers in the God of the Bible, the one and only God, we are called to cling to the truth. We are called to contend for the truth, to 
promote the truth. In fact, this is why Paul concludes this letter to 1 Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, saying, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. Guard the message of the gospel. Guard the truth because it is that important. Don't let your guard down. Cling to the truth. And how do we know what is, is true? How do we know what is God's truth? Well, we open up His Word and we see. And we submit to His authority and we claim His Word as, as the true Word. As the right Word. Even when it's uncomfortable. Even when it's not what we would come to on our own, but we submit to it because it is the Word of God. Church, in an age where more and more churches and even denominations are questioning and even pulling away from clear biblical standards and principles and truths. And I'm not talking about secondary points of interpretation for we know that there are guiding principles that we must follow when we open and read God's Word. But in an age of moral relativity and social Christianity. Church, let's be followers of Jesus Christ who submit to the Word of God and who live out the truths of Psalm 1. Where the psalmist said, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is on the law of the Lord and who meditates on His law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Let's be followers of Christ. Let's be believers in the Lord who submit to the Word of God, who meditate on the instruction of the Lord, the law of the Lord, the Word of the Lord, submitting to His ways, submitting to His standard, for we know that He is right, that He is eternal, and that He is good. The godly reject false teaching, the godly feast on good teaching, and thirdly, the godly engage in spiritual exercise. The godly engage in spiritual exercise. Look back at First Timothy 4 beginning in verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, another reference to types of false teaching that were prevalent in that day, but rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And this is a trustworthy saying, verse 9, that deserves full acceptance. In other words, Paul is saying this is very important. I want to ask a question of you this morning. How many of you take spiritual training or spiritual exercise as important as you take physical exercise? You don't have to raise your hand. Just think about that question for a moment. Some of you are thinking, hey, that's no big deal. You know, I haven't, uh, I haven't worked out in six months. That's not a very high standard. Others of you probably think they haven't worked out in six years. But I know that we have some, uh, some committed uh, athletes here. We have some runners, and we have some crossfitters, and we have some fit bidders, and uh, no telling what else. We have a gym on every corner, do we not? We have Planet Fitness, $10 a month, or at least at some points it's $10 a month. And then over here on the other end of the spectrum, we have the Mega Gym. 
of lifetime fitness, and we have everything in between. And Paul is not saying here that, that physical exercise is of no importance. He's not saying that it's of no value. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying it has some value, but he's saying that spiritual exercise, that spiritual training has far more value because it doesn't just have value for this life, but it has, life, has value for the life to come. And the life to come lasts for forever. Paul is not saying don't spend time at the gym. He's saying that some of you, all of you, all of us need to spend some time in God's gym. Spiritually exercising, spiritually training, walking with Christ. And not only is that more important than even physical exercise, but, but it's far more satisfying to know and to walk with and to fellowship with the God of the universe than it is to run a six-minute mile or to bench press 300 pounds or to lose six inches off of your waist. Church, God has made himself known to us and he invites us to know him. So let's get to know him. And the primary way that we do so is by getting in his word. Let's get in God's word. Let's be in His Word. He has not left us in the dark. He has revealed Himself to us, and He desires to be known by us. So let's get to know Him, for He is good. I dare say that everyone gathered, or just about everyone gathered here this morning, knows of Billy Graham, a famous evangelist of the 20th century, but I dare to venture that far, far fewer folks know who Dr. Nelson Bell is. Dr. Nelson Bell is Billy Graham's father-in-law, a man who devoted his life to medical missions, a doctor who had a 400-bed hospital in China that he often manned himself and had said that Dr. Bell would wake up at 4.30 every day and spend two to three hours with the Lord in the Word of God before engaging in the tasks of the day. The reality is that none of us are too busy to spend time with the Lord. In fact, we need desperately to spend time with the Lord, opening His Word, hearing from Him, communing with Him, fellowshipping with Him. And church, know that I'm right there with you on this. I was preparing for this week. I felt convicting of God's Spirit, nudging me to more and more time in God's Word each day. God has made Himself known to us. He desires to be known by, known by us. He desires us to know Him and to walk with Him. So let's engage Him through His Word. Let's get in His Word. Believers are accountable to God for godliness. And in the final verses of 1 Timothy chapter 4, I think we also see some more specific responsibilities as they relate to Christian ministers and leaders and especially pastors. And the first of those is this, that the Christian minister is accountable for a faithful ministry of God's Word. All Christians are accountable to God for a life of devotion to Him, a life of godliness, but the Christian minister especially is accountable to God for a faithful ministry of his word. Look back at First Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. 
Paul writes to young Pastor Timothy, he says, command and teach these things. Verse 13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which many scholars believe was probably a gift in some way, shape, or form of, of teaching, of exhorting, of proclaiming the message of the gospel. Verse 15, be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. In other words, take this seriously. Devote your life to this. Verse 16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Your doctrine, what you believe, your theology, which the basis for that is the Scriptures. Church, a pastor is responsible for a number of things, and one of the most fundamental, if not the most fundamental, is a faithful ministry of communicating God's Word. Faithfully reading and teaching and proclaiming the truths of God's word. If a Christian minister, teacher, leader fails to do this, then they have failed in the task that God has given them. You see the centrality placed on this back in 1 Timothy chapter 3 where Paul gives instructions, qualifications for, for elders, for pastors for overseers in the church, a long list of character qualities that are very important, and one skill set mentioned among a lengthy list of character qualities, and that is the ability to teach, presumably to teach the truths of, of God. The Christian minister is accountable for a faithful ministry of God's word, and we see here that the Christian minister is accountable for godly character. The Christian minister is accountable for godly character. Look back at verse 12. Paul writes to, to Timothy. Many scholars believe he was probably in his 30s when he received this letter. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers, for the Christians, for the Christ followers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And again, in verse 16, don't just watch your doctrine. Don't just watch what you believe. Watch your life as well, how you live. A Christian minister is accountable for a faithful ministry of the Word of God and for faithfully modeling the character of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So church, when we have Christian leaders and pastors and ministers and teachers who, who value these things and who do these things, Let's value them and let's follow their example as they pursue after Jesus Christ. Let's follow the example of godly Christian leaders. Christian leaders are called to faithful ministry of the word and faithful ministry of living in light of the truths of God's word with a character that honors Jesus Christ. So let's follow their example and when they are living in this way, let's follow the leadership of godly Christian leaders as well. Let's follow the example of godly Christian leaders and let's follow the leadership of godly Christian leaders. The reality is that God's design for the church is a beautiful thing. It is a good thing. And as we have seen in previous weeks, it is a design that everyone who is part of the church is contributing to the overall growth and the good of the church. Let's participate in pursuing godliness together. And let's hold our, our leaders, our teachers, pastors accountable to a 
a biblical standard. Let's hold Christian leaders to a, a biblical standard that is glorifying to God. Let's not place additional responsibilities that are unattainable and unbiblical and unhealthy, but let's hold them firmly to these standards, to faithfully preaching and teaching and proclaiming and modeling the truths of God's Word and faithfully shepherding God's people in a way that is consistent with His Word. Church, we are all accountable to God. So let's live lives that surrender to Him, that pursue Him, that acknowledge that He is sovereign, that acknowledge that Christ is Lord, and let's come alongside each other and run after Him. Let's get to know Him. Let's be the church for the glory of the one who is the head of the church, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We are Christ's church. So let's live like the church. Let's walk like the church. Let's talk like the church. Let's be the church for the glory of the King who gave his life for all of those known as the church. Father, we pray that we would indeed be a faithful body of believers. Father, we pray that we would be a a faithful church, that we would be a, a faithful bride to you. Father, forgive us where we fail you and lead us to to run after you, to pursue you, to live lives of godliness, to seek you in all things, to, to be faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be accountable to one another and accountable to you. Lead us by your spirit. Be glorified in our lives as we respond to the truths of your word now. Father, would you lead us? Would you hear our prayers? Would you, would you hear our praise? Would you be glorified in us as your people? And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.